This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 13. Now, I just want to say, typically we've been doing these sermons weekly from the Scripture reading that you've read this past week. I want to actually cover that tonight. Because of the baptism, I wanted to uh, have that which reflected over uh, our salvation. But tonight I want to talk about, especially important considering our culture, uh, who we are, barriers to recognizing biblical authority. It really comes from uh, those chapters in Exodus But there are so many barriers to recognizing biblical authority today because of the culture we're in, the postmodern culture, but but it's not something that's new either. We'll see that tonight. Also, after the service this morning, we have a chili fellowship, so everyone's welcome to stay um, and uh, have that time, uh, just some food and some time together after the service downstairs. John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. In um, August of 2014, uh, there were some U.S. soldiers who went to visit one of the security, uh, civilian security detail leaders, uh, one of the leaders in the community. He worked with the United States to bring some um, order to that country. And they were visiting him. While they were visiting him, a, a gentleman came uh, to the door of the compound and wanted to speak with the, the leader. And he said, yes, after he gets, after he gets um, uh, patted down. And so as his bodyguards were, were checking this guy out, they realized he had a suicide vest. And they, they cried out, trouble, trouble, and they ran. Uh, the leader's son ran up to this man and put his arms around him and tried to force him back out of the compound. In that time, the man detonated his vest and, and killed both himself and this man's son. This, this man gave his life for um, the soldiers. He gave his life for his family and for his father because of his love for them. And it's what Jesus is talking about here in this context of this verse. Jesus says, no one has greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The context of the verse is that Jesus had just gone out of the upper room. They had just finished the Last Supper, this last Passover, uh, in which Jesus and his disciples shared before his crucifixion. He was leading them out and into the Garden of Gethsemane, where in a few hours he would be betrayed, handed over to the Romans. And Jesus told his disciples that evening several Uh, difficult things. He told them that he was going to be betrayed that very night um, by one of them. He told that he was going to be crucified, he was going to be resurrected, and he was going to go back to the Father. He had been with them for some three years now, and this had become their life. He was, they believed, Messiah, 
and they were following him. And this was all going to change in the matter of hours. And so as Jesus commanded them these various things that night, he spoke to them even that they were to love others as he loved them. Their love was to resemble the love of Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about this just a little bit this morning. Three characteristics that we see of Jesus' love that that are seen in this passage. The first is the demonstration of true friendship's love. Secondly, we see the necessity for you and me for the demonstration of of Jesus' love on our behalf, and thirdly, the requirement to receive this gift of love from Jesus Christ. And so here in 1513, again, Jesus says, no one has greater love than that one should lay down his life for his friends. And as Jesus speaks these words, he describes this love for them. How would Jesus demonstrate his love? we see that he was planning to lay down his life for them in just a few hours. He would make the ultimate sacrifice for their sins, for the sins of the world. That's why he was dying. This selfless love of which Jesus speaks wasn't some kind of nebulous action, uh, nebulous feeling rather, it was action. And that's how God describes love. God never describes love as some kind of feeling, but acting on behalf of the one loved. And we see that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He gave his only begotten son. There was action behind that love. The love produced by God expressed itself in the giving of his son. Jesus showed his love by giving up his life for you. That's how Jesus did this. He was willing to suffer for the sake of his friends whom he loved. But why is it? Why is it that God would love you? Why is it that God would do this for you? I say it's not because of something that's seated within yourself. He didn't look in you and see some kind of noble action, something good that was found in you. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says... In this is love. Not that we loved God. It wasn't because we loved God first. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the sacrifice that turned away His wrath for us. That's what He did. And Paul lays it out clearly in Romans chapter 5. He says, God demonstrated, God showed His love this way. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it's not that we changed. Well, when you clean your life up, I'll do something for you. It's not that we changed. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was completely apart from what we were doing for God. And we see that he loved us as we were. The love that Jesus showed the sacrifice of his love on the cross. He was brutally tortured. He was mistreated. His agony on the cross was terrible. That physical hardship he endured, though, was not the most brutal aspect of that day. And you can see it in what took place. When they were nailing him to the cross, when they were driving the nails through his hands and through his feet, 
he called out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But when God poured out his wrath upon his son for your sin and for my sin, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is where he suffered most greatly when he took your sin upon himself, the sin of the world upon himself. And we see this, we need, but but why would God treat his son in this way? I mean, it isn't intuitively obvious if God is a loving God that he would do this to his own son. So why? Why is it? And we see in that the necessity for the demonstration of his love. What was the necessity that God sent his son to die for you? What was the necessity of it? I think we see this expressed in three different ways. Number one, the necessity is seen in our inability our inability to meet God's standard. God has laid out a standard. Paul, the apostle, says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of God's standard. God's standard cannot be met by us. And it's seen, his standard is seen in the Ten Commandments. He's laid out the commandments before us. We know them. He's written them in our heart. It's not something that, well, I didn't know that. Even then, ignorance is no excuse for the law, but God has written his law on our heart. We know them. It doesn't matter what country you go to, country A or country B, or whatever other country, People have in their own heart, whether they've ever picked up a Bible, that it's wrong to kill without, to to kill innocent life. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. We know that in our own heart. It's written there. And yet we break these things all the time. We we, we see this. Um, it's, It's a mistaken notion that somehow the Ten Commandments are this checklist by which we can justify ourselves before God. If I do really well, God will accept me because I've, I've got so many good checks on here. But that's not what, it, what, what the commandments are at all. As a matter of fact, the, the Scripture says that they're like a diagnostic tool to determine that there's a problem. You, you, you're not feeling right, you go to the doctor, he usually runs a battery of tests a diagnostic tool to see what's wrong. You don't run tests when you're feeling well. But here it is. Ah, you've got something wrong. You need, you need to get this fixed. Well, God's placed those commandments in our heart as a diagnostic test. There's a problem, and you need to get it solved. You need to get it fixed. And it doesn't matter how hard you try. It's not good enough. James says in, in his letter, he says, you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you're guilty as having broken it all. And so we understand this. We recognize this. Habakkuk says, the prophet Habakkuk says, God, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. God can't receive us to himself if we have sin on our account. And God's purpose for the law, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, he says in Romans 3.19, we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that all the world may become accountable to God. Every mouth may be closed. Every 
all the world accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be made right in his sight. But through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law, to bring the knowledge of sin because we've all sinned. And we know it in our own hearts. Jesus explained the true purpose of the law, that it's beyond just the physical, that it deals with the heart. See, he dealt with this religious group called the Pharisees who thought they were going to go to heaven because they were so astute at keeping the law. And he he broke it down to matters of the heart, not just matters of outward obedience. He said, It's written, you shall shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you have lust in your heart for someone, you've committed adultery already with them in your heart. See, there's, there's the heart matter. That even if you've not done something, God sees the heart and we're guilty before Him. Jesus said that if you, if you have, it's written you shall not murder, but if you have anger in your heart towards someone, you've committed murder already. The Apostle John says the very same thing. Every murderer, everyone who has hatred is a murderer in their heart. God will judge you on the day of judgment for that. And we we see this. Jesus showed how the law is heart-specific. But there are all the other commandments as well. Not just, well, I, I only did that in my heart. God sees the heart. And that's why he's able to judge the heart. Nobody else can judge the heart. Nobody can judge a person based on their thoughts or their, their, their ideas in their head. But on our actions. Because we don't read the heart. We don't see the heart. Have you ever lied? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Used Jesus' name as a curse word? God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'll not hold that person guiltless who takes my name in vain. And so we we see in this, regardless of that, we're guilty before God. No one meets God's standard. And so God, because he can't just declare you right with him by saying, okay, you've done well enough. I'm going to grade on the curve. It's not that way. You don't keep it. And if you're honest enough, you don't measure up to God's standard. It's true. That's why Jesus had to die. We're unable to meet God's standard. And the perfection of righteousness that he requires to enter heaven, only Jesus was was the only one who ever reached that standard. He's the only one who ever lived that out. And he died in your place so that you might have his righteousness. And we see that because of our failure to obey God's law, Jesus had to die. And that brings us to the price of sin. The the price of sin. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah writes, your sin has separated you from God. The price of sin is death. The Bible says that for the wages, the price, the payment of sin is death. The Bible uses that word death to speak of separation. Your sins have separated you from God. And whoever has sinned will spend eternity separated from God in hell. We're cut off from the source of life. We want this life. But the separation because of our sin has come in the way. The price of sin is death. That's why Jesus died. 
He died on behalf of your sin. Your sin deserves death. He didn't sin. He didn't die for his own sin. He died for your sin. That's the love of God seen in Jesus Christ. You know, in this separation, this death between us and God, it causes us to pursue all kinds of things to fill up that void where God ought to be. We're restless without God, so we fill it up. Immorality or drugs or alcohol or relationships. I'm going to get this relationship and that's going to make me right. I'm going to feel right again. No, these things become God's substitutes, idols. They fill your life with activities to cover up the guilt and shame of your sin. Or maybe even because some people use religion to cover up their sin. Religion can't, self-made religion is someone's attempt to reach God by their own actions. This frenetic struggle to bring God's acceptance to you by the works you're doing cannot do it. It doesn't matter how often you go to church or how much you pray or how much you do this or that, how much you give. It cannot save you. It cannot do that. And so we, we recognize Self-made religion cannot bring you to God because of this final steep price of sin. Jesus had to die. There was no other way. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, if righteousness could come by the law, if righteousness could come through obeying the commandments, Christ would have died needlessly. And what would that have made God if there was some other way to be made right with God, but he sacrificed his son anyway? What would that have said of God if there was some other way, but there was no other way? The bottom line is that God requires you to have righteousness, perfection before him to inherit eternal life. And since neither you nor I can do that, because neither you nor I have this righteousness. We needed to receive it through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the purpose for Christ's death. Not merely to die for sins, but to rise from the dead to give you the righteousness God requires for eternal life. That's the beauty of the good news. That's what the good news is. He gave himself for you that you may be made right on his behalf. He substituted himself for you so that you might live. I, was, I read several years ago about a parachute instructor, skydiving instructor, Michael Costello. He was tandem, tandemed in to a student and the parachute did not open. And at the last second, Michael turned himself upside down so that his student would land on top of him. His student was saved. He, had, he suffered a, a broken, a, a, a slight, I don't know if you could call that slight, broken spine. But he survived because Michael was crushed to give his student life. That's what the scripture says Jesus did for you and me. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. That which would have sent us to hell, he took upon himself and bore that wrath for you and me. Not by our own effort can we get to heaven, but we need to see that what Jesus did was a gift, a free gift for us. And so we see this requirement, lastly, the requirement to receive this gift of love from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died and rose again does not mean everyone is going to heaven. So what makes the difference? Because Jesus provided eternal life for everyone. But who won't go to heaven? God made it very clear. And you have to understand God's heart in this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. His sentiment is the same in the Old Testament as well. In Ezekiel chapter 18, he says, Do you think that I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? I do not, but rather that they should turn to me and live. That's God's heart for you. He doesn't want you to perish. The truth is, right now, without Christ, you will perish in your sin. You will spend eternity in torment without Christ. But God has provided this way for you to be made right with Him. And He's not made it complex. He's made it very simple so that a child can understand it. It doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take an engineer. It doesn't take someone of superior intelligence to understand what this is. It takes someone to understand how to receive a gift. And if you have children, have had children, all you have to do is look at Christmas morning when they go to the tree and open up. They know how to receive a gift. It doesn't take someone with a degree to receive eternal life. That's what God has done for you and for me. Jesus said, though, unless you humble yourself as a little child, unless you humble yourself as a little child, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. And so what do you need to do? This is the difficult part. The difficult part is humbling yourself to say, I'm not okay. I need this gift. I need what Jesus did for me. I can't make it on my own. You have to humble yourself. Admit that you're guilty. You know, we want to magnify our goodness. We want to minimize our sin. But when we do that, we're in pride holding God off at arm's length. We're saying, no, God, I can do it myself. I'm content with my religion, with my self-made religion that's going to earn my favor, that's going to earn your favor. Now, you have to humble yourself. God, I can't do this. I can't earn eternal life. You need to give me this gift. You need to humble yourself. Admit your guilt. Secondly, you need to believe that God did provide the remedy for you through Christ. That was all it was. This foolishness of the cross, the Bible calls it. Who would look at a crucified man and think he could save anyone? The the, the leaders mocked him. If you're the son of God, come down off the cross. But it wasn't that he came down he could, he could have come down, but what saved us is that he stayed up and he died for us. If you believe that God provided that remedy for you, for your sin, to wash away all your sin, the Bible says call upon him, receive him as Savior. 
It's, it's, it's the call of a drowning man. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and believe that Jesus' payment was sufficient for your sin and you call upon Him, Lord, please save me. Please give me this gift of eternal life. From the authority of the Word of God, if you repent, if you acknowledge your sin, you acknowledge you cannot earn your way and you call upon the Lord Jesus, Lord, save me through your son's death and resurrection. God says you will be saved. You will have eternal life. That's, that's it. Now you, you might think, well, it can't be that easy. The, the devil's putting all kinds of excuses in your head why this can't be. And yet the scripture makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 5. John says this. He says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's it. That's how simple it is. And in verse 13, He says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. God made it that simple because any other way you wouldn't be able to do it. He's shown that. You can't keep the law. Jesus kept the law for you and he died on your, beha- on your behalf. He died for you. And God made it that simple because he wants no one to perish. That's why. And if you're here today without Christ, if you've never received him, if you would simply call upon him, Lord, I need this salvation. I need this gift of righteousness through your son. He will save you. And so in this time, we're going to close in prayer and As we do, if there's anyone here, we're going to have a song invitation. If there's anyone here that has never received Christ as their Savior, you can receive Him today. You can have this gift of eternal life. And so, let's pray together. Father, I do thank You for this day. I thank You for Your mercies to us, for the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation He's provided. And Lord, if there is someone here today, might they take advantage of this opportunity to come forward and allow someone to pray with them to receive Jesus Christ. Father, may nothing keep them. Lord, neither their pride or an excuse or other thing, Lord, that You would allow them to receive Your Son as Savior today. Father, we pray and we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please stand, we're going to sing, um, I'd rather have Jesus. As we stand and sing, do you need Christ as your Savior? Has there never been a time you received Him? Would you please come forward? Somebody will have you aside and and pray on your own with that individual to receive Christ. You come as we sing, I'd rather have Jesus. He'll save you today if you come.
today. We're going to have one more, one more verse that we're going to sing. And if you need Christ as your Savior, would you come? Let someone pray with you to receive Christ before we have our baptism. You come as we sing on that second verse. Those who are being baptized, would you come forward and others can be seated? All right. Come on. Come on up. Caleb, come on up. Come on up, Caleb. Now, we're, we're going to do the ladies first. Is that okay? Oh, it's a, you, can stay, you can stand right here. That's all right. Um. So I've, I've got the easy part. Come on up, Faith. I've got the easy part today. Uh, Mark's going to be baptizing them. So uh, excited about that. I don't have to get wet today. So ladies, um, Faith, I'm going to start with you here. All right? I'm going to start with you here. Uh, Faith said, you know, I grew up going to church. And of course, in Sunday school, they'd teach about sin and how to be saved. And I was aware of that. One night in the winter when I was about seven years old, I felt guilty for something I did. I went to my mom. I asked her if she could show me how to accept Jesus, uh, to ask for his forgiveness. And ever since then, I've been saved. So that's, praise God for that testimony. And uh, Namaya, yeah. all right? Uh, Namaya Camillo, right? Okay, we just want to get it for the books. Nehemiah says, you know, when I was in the first grade, my teacher was doing a Bible lesson about Jesus dying on the cross. Uh, while I was sitting there on the floor in class, I began to cry for him. And she said, sometime later during that year, I was sitting on my bed. I said a prayer. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. So praise God for that. And um, Brianna. So Brianna says, I've always wanted to go to church. Our dad wanted us to go to church, but because he wasn't able to go with us, I didn't want to go alone. Uh, the only time I went to church growing up was at funerals, probably not the best circumstances to go. Uh, but I was always open to know God, and I wanted to go to church. Uh, this summer I met Paul, and um, he invited me to go to church. I was hesitant at first because I'm nervous around crowds. And Paul asked if I wanted to stay with him in the office while he operated the live stream so I could watch the service from there. I felt more comfortable, was able to listen to the word. Paul and I talked about questions that I had about God and about baptism for a couple of weeks. And then I asked him, how do you know a person is saved? And Paul shared with me from the book of Romans how to receive Christ, and I trusted Christ that night. Um, I was excited about it, and so was he, and he immediately called his mom to let her know the good news, and that's how I was saved. Praise God. 
Um, so Caleb, Caleb, uh, Caleb says, we were going to bed one night when my mom was about to put me to bed. Uh, I asked her, why do we go to church? And she brought me into the living room. She told me what, the church, what church means. And she told me how that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and how he rose again. My mom explained how Jesus died for all of our sins. And she told me about the sinner's prayer. And I said, said it with her to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Then after she put me to bed, I said another prayer in my own. So praise God. Well, uh, with that, um, actually I was supposed to dismiss each of you on your way. So um, that, that didn't work out exactly right. But uh, Faith, if you want to go in first, and Namaya right after her, and Brianna and Caleb. So, all right. All right. All right. So um, they're going to be changing. They were supposed to do that like one by one and be ready and and I really messed that up, but Mark, can you turn the light on in the back there so everyone can see just a little bit um, easier? Thank you. And what these, you're talking to Troy, okay, sorry about that. So, you know, this, this was, you know, I, I just, a little brief on Brianna's testimony, uh, um, it, it was exciting, you know, um, Paul was, was bringing her home. He, he called. Uh, we were still finishing up supper. They had eaten supper with us, and they, they uh, headed out, and, and, and he had called and, and uh, called my wife, and I was so excited about that. It was, it was, just, it was just a great uh, opportunity to hear how God worked in her life. And um, you know what? There, there may be some of you here who have not received Christ, and I, I just encourage you to consider that. And if you have questions, listen, if you have questions about how to be saved, you can ask any one of these, these folks here. They'll tell you how simple it is. Um, or you can ask myself or Mark as he's baptizing or maybe somebody, maybe somebody invited you to church. You can ask them. Uh, they, they'd be, I'm sure, glad to tell you how to receive Christ uh, because that is a, is a destiny changer. Right? It's a life changer because you go from darkness to light, from the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Your eternity has changed from eternal death to eternal life. Uh, you know, in 1985, I, I grew up going to church all my life. I was religious, but I didn't understand the gospel. And it, was, it, was, it, it changed my heart. It gave me life, peace in my heart, hope in my life. And it was, if you've not experienced it, you need to come to Christ. You need to receive him. Mark, are we there? They didn't run away, did they? All right. Praise God. Faith. <laughs> Faith, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Did I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Brianna, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I saved that one for the last because I knew that he wouldn't be able to um, get through the rest of them after he did that, after he did that one. Uh, those willing... To accept into the church membership, Faith Watson, Caleb Matakansky, Namaya Camilo, and Brianna Ritchie, please say amen. amen. Let's close together in prayer. Father, we bless you and thank you for this day, for your mercies. Thank you for the fellowship that we're going to have afterwards. Thank you for the testimony of these four that were baptized. And Lord, for those that will be baptized next month, we praise you. We pray, Father, for your spirit to work in our own hearts and minds. Bring others to know you as their Savior, Lord. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.